Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. Uh, it was the Holy Spirit. During that last song, I got wrecked. And the reason I got wrecked, I felt like this is what the Lord said. He's like, you have the opportunity to worship me this morning. You have the opportunity. We, as the church, have an opportunity to worship the creator of this universe. Pour out all of the hallelujahs that we want, all the praise that he's on. I love what Pastor Paul said. Like Before the battles take place, he sent out the praise and worship. And, and as we get ready to hear this message, there's a battle behind this message. Because to be honest with you, I'm going to preach some truths to you. Some of you are going to probably wiggle in your chair like, Ew, this is uncomfortable. But we need to hear it because there, out there, there is a battle. There is a war that is taking place, not just for this generation right now, but for generations to come. And if we as the church can do something right now, maybe, just maybe by God's grace, we will see generations after generations after generations until he comes again that will know Jesus Christ and not steer away from him. Um. So as Pastor Paul said, my name is Mike. Uh, I just want to give you a heads up, a couple things with this message. It's going to kind of be a two-parter. One is going to kind of just uh, share with you about Youth Alive, who, who I am, my wife, and, and where we came from. Uh, the second part is what I believe God has called me to share with churches when we're able to travel and speak with churches and, um, in that regard. Uh, the second point with when it comes to preaching, um, I can get loud sometimes, just going to be honest. And if I, if I start getting loud and, and it sounds like I'm yelling, my wife tells me sometimes I sound like I'm yelling, I'm not mad at you, okay? <laughs> I'm just really passionate about Jesus Christ and his word and what he can do in our lives because I know me. I know who I was. I didn't come to know Jesus as a teenager. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I, I was a sinner and still am a sinner saved by grace. I was a guy who went to college and looked for love in all the wrong places. I was a guy in college who wanted to drink away my pain, but it was by God's grace he brought a man named Joshua Birchfield in my life who was an admissions counselor in upstate or in Long Island, New York, and we got to travel and he shared Jesus Christ with me, and my life hasn't been the same since. And my hope and prayer is that through this message tonight or this morning, That maybe, just maybe, if you're in here tonight, or this morning, sorry, youth groups, we always say tonight, so, um, if you don't know Jesus, maybe, just by his grace through being an able servant, that you will get to experience that love of Jesus Christ. Uh, I first, I just want to thank Pastor Paul for this, uh, this opportunity. I remember the first time we got to meet, um, I was running late. You straight up honest, I was in Satterton trying to find a parking spot, and I'm like looping around Satterton to find a parking spot, and then there's Pastor Paul with it, gracious. Um, he was like, oh, it's okay, and we have a conversation. And as I get to hear Pastor Paul's heart, guys, you have a pastor who genuinely cares about you and genuinely cares about this community. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for being faithful to what God has called you to do here in the Lansdale area. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Youth Alive, uh, I'll be honest, becoming a Youth Alive missionary director, this was not in the cards for me. 
I was serving as the youth pastor at Morning Star Fellowship. I was enjoying that time there. God was doing a lot of great things. Uh, but then God kind of shift, not kind of, he did shift uh, some things in our lives. So in October of um, 2022, uh, my wife and I took some of our young adults who, I think Johnny's here today, who was part of that young adults group. So, hi Johnny. I don't know where you are here, but hi, way back there. All right. Um, uh, we, we took some young adults to a Chi Alpha retreat at the Bonjourno Conference Center. And there was a missionary who spoke, and right before his Saturday evening session, I heard the Lord say to me, go and speak my name. Right before the message, and I go, Lord, aren't I already doing that? <laughs> Unless you're trying to convict me, I'm not preaching the word correctly here or something. Like, aren't I already doing that? And like, it just stirred my heart for whatever reason. And then the missionary came up and he said, all right, we're going to talk about going and making disciples in all nations and the importance about being missionaries in the United States and across the country and across the world. And I'm like, Lord, (laughs) what is going on? Um, And so for a couple weeks, I'm wrestling through, praying through it. And Joe Cowley, who's now the Pendel Youth Director, former Youth Alive missionary, he texts me and says, hey, let's grab lunch. Right away, I knew something was up because I'm the one who usually reaches out to Joe. <laughs> I'm like, Joe, when can you come and, and see uh, the youth group, talk to us, encouraging our campus missionaries? We grabbed lunch, uh, and before that, I felt like the Lord was saying, you need to pray and fast. And my wife and I were talking about it. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. We're kind of like, well, what if? What if we're called to do something different? Mind you, we just bought a home eight months ago. <laughs> so... We meet with, I meet with Joe. Anyone ever have an awkward lunch before? <laughs> you, you know, like everyone's wrestling through the menu. You have no idea like what to say or anything like that. And uh, we're at the table like that. It's like, it feels like an eternity. It was probably like 45 seconds. And Joe, I, finally I felt like the Holy Spirit said like, you need to ask Joe about what's going on in the office. I'm like, no. If Joe wants to tell me what's going on in the office, he'll tell me. So then finally, no one was saying anything. So I go, Joe, how are things in the office? And and right away, conversation just goes off. And Joe's like, well, I want to share with you. They're going to make the announcement soon. I'm going to be the next uh, Pendel Youth Director. And I was shocked because two months prior, he was at our church. And I said, jokingly, Joe, are you ready for the director position? He said, I don't want it. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And then when he told me that, I go, I thought you said you didn't want it. He's like, I didn't. And then the Lord uh, spoke to me through dreams and visions and then confirmed with his wife, Becky, like, this is what we're supposed to be doing next. And then I asked the million-dollar question. Who's your next Youth Alive missionary? (laughs) Well, Mike, that's why we're here. The Lord put you and Rachel on my heart, and, you know, I shared the story of what happened at the Bonjourno Conference Center and confirmation after confirmation. Lord's like, this is what I want you to do next. And so we're grateful to be in this role. I do want to share some photos. I know Rachel's right here in person, but we have a photo uh, of us right there. Um, So this photo was actually taken months prior before we made this switch. And you can see we're matching, not just in the outfits, but also wearing our Youth Alive hoodies. And we kind of use that now for for our prayer cards and that. And I was like, oh, look at that. Back in the summer, the Lord was preparing for us. Uh, in this role already. Uh, But we've been happily married for over four years now. Uh, We have two kids. Uh, Our first one, our daughter uh, named Leah Grace. Uh, If we have 
think we have that photo of her coming up. Um, so this is Leah. And the reason we are only showing her ultrasound photo um, is because three hours after she was born in July of 2021, she passed away. Um, she had what is called a diaphragmic hernia. Uh, it was undetected in anything in our, in our um, appointments, and we had no idea. And, you know, three hours after the umbilical cord was cut, um, she passed away. I would not... I would be lying if I said that wasn't the hardest season in our life. Um, Both of us really excited, looking forward to being parents. Uh, The joy of raising kids, Rachel, sidebar, Rachel jokingly asked one time, like, I asked, like, oh, how many kids do you want? And she told me 10. (laughs) So, um, and so we were heartbroken. And we and walking through that, and we're thinking, Lord, what, what, what's going on? And then a week before the one-year anniversary, if we go to the next slide, um, so this is her gravesite, but you'll see there's a pinwheel there that my, my younger sister put there. You can't really read it on there, but on the pinwheel, it says Big Sister. And a week before her one-year anniversary is when we found out that we were pregnant with our now son, Jaron. And Jaron, we named him Jaron because it means song of rejoicing in the Hebrew. And so we are rejoicing in the fact that God has redeemed that pain and suffering in one year, and has gifted us uh, our little boy here today. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I, I just want to share this, and I, I don't, I don't know all you guys. Hopefully, I get to get to know some of you guys um, afterwards. Whatever situation you're going through, may, maybe you have lost a child. Um, Maybe you've had miscarriage. Maybe, maybe you're going through a difficult season right now. I want to let you know that your pain and the suffering that you're going through right now uh, isn't meaningless. There's a meaning behind it, and the Lord is going to use that to glorify his name. But also, as the scriptures say, you'll be able to minister to those in the future that have walked a similar path as well. And so my hope and prayer through this difficult journey that you may be going through is that you keep your eyes on Jesus. Because that's, that's what we had to do. We, we focusedly kept our eyes on Jesus the entire time. And I, I promise you that he will help you and walk through that pain that you're going through. Um, in regards to what we get to do as Youth Alive missionaries, I think our biggest fear is knowing that, there's going to be, that there could be a generation that doesn't know the Lord. See, we, we read about Joshua, and I'm not here to bash Joshua, because Joshua was a great leader. He was a great commander of the army. They got to the promised land. But one of the things that we read in Judges 2, starting at verse 8, and this is a, th- these are verses that have haunted me from the first time I knew Jesus and surrendered my life to him. And I read these, and it says this, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Which, by the way, that's my goal. I want to live to 110. Anyone else with me? All right, we got a couple people. Yes. See, I thought I was the only crazy one. All right. Um, Anyways. They buried him in the land, and he had been been allocated at Timoth Sarah in the hill country at Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that generation died, and another generation grew up who died, Another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. 
The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight and served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them. And they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of the Ashtoreth. They made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies all around, and they were no longer able to resist them. Every time Israel went out to battle, the Lord fought against them, causing them to be defeated, just as he warned. And the people were in great distress. And this is our fear. This is a fear of ours that a generation isn't going to know Jesus. And as I've done some, as we've got to do some traveling and hearing from other pastors and, 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 and youth leaders, unfortunately, this fear is starting to, to take shape right now. I couldn't tell you how many conversations I've had already with some pastors who have said, yeah, we have conversations with parents and teens, and there are teens that say, who's Jesus? What's the Bible? Why is it important? And it doesn't surprise me, because of that happening now, we see some of the distress that's happening here in America today. People who want to believe in their own truths, live in their own ways, a world system that says, hey, th- this is the truth. Can I tell you that Jesus Christ is the only truth? He is the way. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So while we have this fear, and that fear is what drives us, we also have a dream that drives us. We have a dream of a generation that will be trained up biblically to know Jesus Christ. We have a dream to see a generation no longer be trained by the devil and those of the world system, but a generation that will be trained up by leaders and parents and those around to train up a generation that will rise to the expectation that God has called them to. A generation that will... Worship the Lord that will come into an area like this with knees bowed to the Lord saying, I get to worship the creator of heaven and earth. I get to serve him with all of my heart. I get to go into my schools or my workplaces or my athletic areas or extracurricular activities. And I get to share the name of Jesus. That is our dream. That is our hope to see. And we as the church have a responsibility. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Direct your child onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. And we as the church, we need to do three things, I believe. First off, we need to encourage this next generation. We need to encourage this next generation to be gospel-centered. We need to encourage these students that when they say yes to Jesus for the first time, that it's not just a one and done decision when they're 12 and then when they're 18 they abandon the faith. No, we have the responsibility that when a student at 12, 13 years old says yes to Jesus, yes to the calling that he's put on our life, we as the church have a responsibility to disciple those teens. How many teens are in here today? I'm just curious. Can you, can you raise your hand if you're a teenager here today? Let, raise them high. Come on. Don't, don't be shy. Yeah, there we go. We got some teenagers. Can we like encourage the teenagers that are here today? <clears throat> because here's the thing. 
Here's the thing. In a world out there today, the world wants to talk negatively about teenagers. We have a world that wants to say, like, oh, teenagers aren't good. They can't do anything right. They're, they're always in trouble. Can I tell you that God can use teenagers today to share the hope of the message of Jesus Christ? God can use teenagers to help other students, other teachers, in prayer see signs of healing take place. We can see students be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things. I think this is why Paul tells Timothy, and this was our motto at Morning Star Fellowship, we didn't look at it as a cliche. We took 1 Timothy 4.12 and we said, listen, Paul said to Timothy, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. And we would always tell our students this. We said, hey, set that example. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to make the older folk very uncomfortable. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not calling you guys old. Just at Morningstar, right? No, just kidding. <laughs> and, and they would look at me with like three heads like, well, what do you mean that we're going to make them uncomfortable? I said, because they're going to look at you. And they're going to see how much you serve. How much you give to the Lord. How you faithfully serve Him. And you're setting that example. And they're going to look at you. And then they're going to have to look inward in themselves. And look in the mirror and say, Well, if these teenagers can do it, what's my excuse? And I think we as a church, we need to, again, we need to encourage these teens in all that they do. God has given you gifts and talents and abilities to glorify Him in all things. And instead of squashing teenagers down, instead of telling teenagers, oh, you know what, wait till you're 18, 19, 20, 21. No, let's raise them up right now. If a student has a calling to preach, let them preach. If a student has a calling to lead in praise, let them lead in praise. By the way, your praise and worship team is awesome. You're like... And I'm not just saying that, you know, because they're like, oh, if you want to say that, you can't. Like, I'm, like, genuinely, that was an awesome worship experience. They, they led us into the presence of the Lord. They led us into what God wanted to do here this morning and in us. And you know, teenagers can do that too. Teenagers can do that too. And so we need to encourage, we need to empower them. And we need to see them empowered in two ways. The first one is by the supernatural of the Holy Spirit. Teenagers need to know that the, 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 the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is what gives them the, the ability and the confidence to go do what God has called them to do. Not a self-confidence. Because we can be, I could be self-confident myself, but then the next day be like, mm, not so much. <laughs> but I am confident in the Lord who has called me. And these teenagers need to know that they can be confident in what the Lord has called them to do when they experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then we equip them. And this goes back to discipleship, the importance of discipleship. I go back to what Jesus says in the Great Commission, Matthew. Go and make disciples of all nations. I heard someone say last night, um, so sidebar for a second. Um, we were out in western Pennsylvania, Erie and Pittsburgh. Uh, I got in at th- back in 3 this morning. 
Um, but it was an awesome experience because we had what is called our spirit tour. In these past two weekends, we saw over 500 students attend these church night events. Over 30 students get, said yes to Jesus for the first time. We had a dozen students who were baptized and in the Holy Spirit. And we had students who said yes to a calling that God has put on their life. This is what we get to do. This is what we get to do. And now it's our responsibility to disciple these teens. We as a, I have a huge passion to seeing discipleship take place because that's what needs to ha- happen. We, we are called to show them the ways of Jesus by what the scripture says. To live out what God has called us to, how to live. Set the example in all things. One of the things that we get to do with Youth Alive is help students in their callings and understanding what it means to be a campus missionary. And a campus missionary is someone that will go into their schools and they'll, they'll start Bible clubs, uh, they'll, pro- they'll start prayer uh, teams, uh, they'll serve in different ways or different capacities. And I think we have a photo of one campus missionary. This is Riley. Uh, so this was my first winter retreat when I was in uh, the Youth Alive role back in January, started in January. And I met Riley before we had one of our workshops and her youth pastor And Riley shared with the group, as a campus missionary, she's been praying with her school. Uh, Bible club has been going great. Uh, But she had the opportunity one time to pray for her teacher. Her teacher came up to her and said, hey, I'm in a lot of pain right now. My hip has been bothering me. I can't really walk the right way or in a certain way. And Riley, 14 years old, courageously says, well, let's pray for healing. So she puts her hand on the teacher's hip or leg, what was going on, and they pray for five minutes before the bell rings and, and they have to go to class. Riley goes her separate way, the teacher goes her separate, separate way. Later on that afternoon, the teacher comes and finds Riley and says, Riley, thank you for your prayers. God has healed me. Don't tell me that God can't use teenagers. God can use this generation of teens The question is, are we willing to allow that to happen? Are we willing to come along the teens and say, yes, we want to see God be there. We We want God to use you in mighty ways. Listen, I said, I wasn't saved when I was a teenager. And early on in my process, when I, when I came to know the Lord in my early 20s, I'll be honest, I was mad. I was mad and upset, frustrated and angry. I was like, why didn't anyone tell me this when I was a teenager? Not that my life would have been perfect, but it would have helped me along the way with some of the brokenness and, and stuff that was happening in my household and be like, okay, Lord, I know how you can walk me through this. And I didn't have that. And I, Anyone ever have a pity party before? I'm like, why, Lord? Why can't we go back and change the past? And Lord, you know, in his gracious, loving way, is saying, you know we can't change the past. But we can do something about the future. And I believe it's my calling and my responsibility now to encourage teens that wherever they go, like, not to be afraid to share the name of Jesus. Because they're not, when you share the name of Jesus... You're not just changing one life. You're changing generations to come. 
And so my wife and I just, we're asking you in regards to Youth Alive um, to pray for us. We, we are these new missionaries, directors, to pray for us in this role. Um, we're also in the process right now of itineration to raise funds, and you guys as a church as a whole are supporting us. So I want to thank you guys for your support in Youth Alive. Um, but if you feel called at any point, like, hey, we want to give individually as a monthly supporter, please come talk to us afterwards. Um, we have an aggressive goal right now to raise $10,000 monthly uh, before the end of September. Um, and the reason for that is because we want the money thing to be finalized so we can go out and do what God has called us to do. To provide the discipleship tools that the churches need to, for the teenagers. The discipleship tools that parents need to, to help t- uh, their teenagers. Because here's the thing, parents. How many parents of teenagers in here? Okay. I'm going to be nice about this. And I'm not saying that you... Maybe you guys don't make excuses, right? right? But I kind of want to limit the excuses. I also want to get rid of the fears that you may have about discipling your teens. Maybe, maybe you've had the thought of like, well, I can't lead a Bible study. I don't know how to teach the word to, to my teenager. I, I want to let you know, you can do this. It, it just starts maybe just 15 minutes a day reading God's word together. You don't have to do what we're doing here for five hours. Well, we're not going to be here for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. No, just kidding. No, just kidding. I want to be respectful to your time. I know you have that meeting uh, coming up. But, but we want to provide tools for all, from the, for the leaders, the parents, and the teens to go out there and disciple and share the name of Jesus. Because here's the thing. We're in a world today that is dark and is looking for light. There, there are people who are looking for truth. And as things get a little bit more crazier and crazier, there are people who are thinking, is there any hope in this world? Is there any love in this world? Is, is there anyone who's willing just to have a conversation without arguing over whatever? Peanut butter and jelly, right? Like, I, I don't know. Like, you, you see today people who argue over certain things that are just silly. We've become a def- divisive country. And, and this is where I kind of want to go into a little bit and, and close out this message pretty quickly here. As I've been praying and asking, Lord, where, what do you want me to say to churches? And this is uplifting, but it's also going to bring challenges. He, he, put, he pointed me to Ezekiel 33. And in Ezekiel 33, just to let you know, the context of it is that in Ezekiel 33, God calls Ezekiel to be a watchman. And a watchman, if you don't know, it is a, it's a term that is used where an individual who is positioned in a tower or a city wall to look for invaders or approaching disasters. So, for example, in America, if you know your American history, one of our famous watchmen was Paul Revere. He, he would warn the, the American uh, colonists of the British coming, and you know he let the um, people know by the, the ringing of the bells and, and the lights, and then he ran through and was saying, the British are coming, the British are coming. You probably learned this in history, right? I hope so. <laughs> And here, God is calling Ezekiel to be a watchman for the people and their hearts. And Ezekiel 33, verse 7 says, Now, son of man, I'm asking you, to wa- you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. And as I've read through these verses in, in part of Ezekiel 33, I believe there are three cries 
that the Lord wants the American church as a whole to hear this morning across Pendel or maybe across this country as well. And the first cry is that there is an enemy and he is looking to steal, kill, and destroy. In Ezekiel 33, 1 through 6, it says, Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. When I bring an army against a country, the people of the land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, the sound, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their deaths. See, the spiritual battle is real. Can we, can, I know you guys don't do it, but can we stop denying the fact that there is a spiritual battle? Like, I don't know about you. Again, I wasn't saved as a teenager, but I, I got into like Ouija boards and, and psychics and all that stuff. And, you know, I was like, woohoo, gun ho for that. I remember early on walking through the process of spiritual giftings and spirits. I'm like, no, no, come on, no way. But there is. There's a spiritual force. There's a spiritual heaviness right now in America that is causing things to happen. And there's also, if we're honest, in some place in America, a spiritual force that is putting the church to sleep. Putting the church to sleep is saying, no, everything's okay. We're just going to play the music and have fun and, and play some games and, and, you know, don't worry, it's going to be great. When there are lives that are at stake, not just here in the physical realm, but for eternity. Pastor Paul already knows this, and the leaders already know this, but we have a responsibility. The blood is on our hands if we don't share the truth of what is out there. And we can't be ashamed of that truth. We, we can't go out there in this world and be fearful of what other people are going to think. Like, I know we at times want to be approved and loved by everyone, but if Jesus had enemies, sorry folks, we're probably going to have enemies too. But that doesn't mean we can't love them. doesn't mean we can't pray for them. doesn't mean that we, we should be afraid of the battle that, that's ahead. But we need to know that there is that battle. And there is an enemy that is looking to steal, kill, and destroy teens, kids, Families. And as I said, number two, it said the church has to wake up, but I would also say that the church in America needs to repent of our wickedness. I, I think back, you know, we're singing about uh, in Revelation 4, but I think of the first three letters where Jesus is rebuking some of the churches, and in Ephesus he tells, come back to your first love. I think that same thing needs to happen here in America. Churches need to come back to the first love of Jesus Christ and not, the first, and not the, make their first love money. Not make their first love being tight with government officials. Not their first love being um, how can I get approval and become famous and be on a platform. Jesus Christ didn't come here so we could be famous. He came here so he can be famous. So he can be glorified in all things. It's not us that saves. It's Christ Jesus who saves. And so we need to repent of that. We need also as well, we need to stop playing the games. 
We need to stop acting like, okay, we come on Sunday, we do our routine, we put the check mark in the box, like, all right, I'm good. There are people dying, not just physically, but spiritually every single day. And whether they know it or not, they are looking for love. They are looking for hope, and they're looking for it in wrong places. But we can be the light. We're called to be the light. We're called to be that light in the dark spot. We're supposed to be the salt of this earth and tell people, like, there is a better way. You don't need to be stuck in your addiction. You do not need to think the thoughts that you think. You don't need to think that your life doesn't matter, that you're willing to commit suicide. That's what's happening at this point. The way that things are being sold, that your life doesn't matter, you're just a bunch of clay because of science. No, 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 no. You were created individually by the creator of this universe. And if you are here in this room, if you are watching online, whoever hears this, if you are here, that means God has you here for a purpose. We need to wake up, and, and I'll, I'll be honest, the last thing I think we need to repent of is that we, we need to stop tolerating sin. We, we, have, we have taken the definition of love and somehow combine that with tolerance. Can I tell you that loving people doesn't mean that we tolerate things. We don't tolerate sin. Now, do we lovingly correct and, and, and encourage them and helping them walk people out of it? Yes, absolutely. But Jesus said, said to one of the church, you, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. And the Jezebel spirit would come through and, and, and you know, wreak havoc in churches and, and, and let sexual sin and all these different sins take place in churches. We can't tolerate sin in the church. Forget starting to, like, if, if, like forget trying to reach the world and their sins if we're in here like, eh, let's have a party in our sin. No. God called us to live in holiness and, and righteousness. And, and this is my third point uh, before we close and if the worship team wants to come on up. Righteous living is a daily choice. Righteous living is a daily choice. We see towards the, towards the end of it, uh, the Lord is telling Ezekiel, like, listen, a righteous man, um, if they turn from their righteousness and start living in wicked ways, well, then they will die. But those who are in wickedness and they turn to righteousness, they will live. And, and I'm reading that, and as I see that, what God is saying, like, listen, you can't just make a one-time decision and think that your past of that decision is going to make you clean. You can't think that, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus. I said yes to Jesus, but then go out of those doors and live in the wickedness and in the sin. No, righteous living, and again, righteous living doesn't mean that we're perfect. Righteous living means that we are willing to be, live right according to what God has called us to, how to live. And I want to encourage us in this and, and just conclude. Like, we read these stuff, and sometimes it can be tough. But God is gracious. And in those letters in Revelation, those first three letters, there's something that Jesus always said, and I love that because he's giving the churches an opportunity. He says, those who have ears, let them hear. See, God isn't an angry God who just wants to see everyone perish and, and end up in their wickedness and die in hell. Oh, he's a patient and a loving God who graciously wants to be in relationship with everyone. 
And we know, unfortunately, there are going to be some who, many who are going to say no to the Lord, and there is going to be that, that death. But here's my hope and prayer. I pray that this isn't a generation that just leads into wickedness after wickedness after wickedness after wickedness. But that this is a generation that knows Jesus. That this is a generation that loves Jesus. This is a generation that isn't afraid to speak about Jesus. I think of Josiah, uh, King Josiah, and I'm going to close out with this. King Josiah, young king, and he sees all the wickedness that's happening within the temple and the bales and the, and the Asher poles and all the idle things that are happening. And we read in, the, in 1 Kings and Chronicles, what does King Josiah do? He goes in there and he says, clean it out. Get out of, rid of all the idols. I think that's what can happen here. By God's grace, if he just gives us one more opportunity before he comes to clean up all the idols, first in our own hearts and our own lives, and the church here in America as a whole, clean out the idols that are within the churches as well. And we just do what we just did earlier and what we're about to do now and just say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I'm, I'm going to live for you. I'm, I'm going to praise you in everything and see that your name be glorified in all things. And so I want, I want to close with this. I know they're going to they're gonna sing the, the worship song, I Speak Jesus. And this is a very powerful song. I, I personally am a fan of this song. And I think sometimes with worship songs, we can fall in love with them and we can we come into a routine of them. But I don't want this to be routine. I, I want this type of this worship to be a declaration. A declaration where you feel like, yes, I will speak the name of Jesus wherever I go. I will shout the name of Jesus on the mountaintop. I will courageously, with love and conviction and humility, share the gospel with my friends, my coworkers people in this community and if, and if that's you here this morning and you say yes I first off I would just want to give the gospel invitation if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior I, I'll hope and pray that somehow through this message he conveyed to you that he wants a loving relationship with you he cares about you and some of the pain and the suffering that you're going through and maybe the questions you have and the doubts that you have I, I want to let you know that Jesus can walk that out with you. He's the great high priest who knows everything that we have gone through. And he's the one that can help fill that void that's in your heart and restore that brokenness and help you become healed. So if you don't know Jesus for the first, and today is the first day that you want to know that you say yes to Jesus surrounding your life, I'd invite you to come to the altar and we'd love to pray for you. If you have a prayer team, I'd invite the prayer team up to you. I also will say, as we get ready to worship and close out, as we're singing this worship song and, and giving praise for the Lord here today, as you're singing this song and you feel the Holy Spirit saying, I want you to offer your life to me. See, we gave in, in financially. And that's, that's great. We're called to give. But if you feel like the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you here as an offering, saying yes to Jesus. I will do whatever it takes to speak your name. I'd love for you to come to the altar as well. 
we'd love to pray over you guys. I just want to encourage you guys that we have a battle. And I know it may seem taunting, you may, it may seem like the task can be overwhelming, but can I tell you at the end of the day, yes, we have a battle, but the war is already won. The war is already won based on what Christ has done on Calvary, and we know the ending. The church wins. The church wins. The King of kings and the Lord of lords comes down from heaven on his horse and speaks the name and speaks the words and a new heaven and a new earth and all will rejoice and praise him forever. So let's pray, church. Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you for, I thank you for Bridge. I thank you for Pastor Paul. I thank you for his wife, Leslie. I thank you for the leadership team here, Lord. I thank you for their faithfulness to you, their genuine love for you, and the genuine love for the community here in Lansdale and those that come within these church walls and outside the church walls, Lord God. Father, I pray right now for anyone here today who that may not know you as Lord and Savior, that today, by your grace, Lord, that their hearts would be soft and they'd be open to saying, yes, I surrender my life. I want to live a life for Jesus. Father, I pray as well as we get ready to sing and, and declare that we will speak your name here, Lord God. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, that feels called and convicted in ways that they've never felt before, Lord, that, that they feel like they are going to offer themselves to you today, Lord God, wherever you call me, I will speak your name. I pray for that to happen as well, Lord God. I pray that right here through this church, God, you will do great things here in Lansdale. You'll do great things through, the, through the, this generation, Lord God, that, that is coming up, Lord. And God, we give you the glory, honor, and praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.